Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Healthy Dose of Dialogue podcast. I'm your host, Don Antonucci, Senior Vice President of Growth at Blue Shield of California. My guest today is Tracy Watts. Tracy is Senior Partner and U.S. Leader for Healthcare Policy at Mercer, where she advises large employers on their health benefit strategies for active and retired employees. In 2018, Tracy was named a top 25 consultant for excellence in healthcare by Consulting Magazine. She is widely quoted as a spokesperson for Mercer's survey of employer-sponsored health benefit plans, serves on the executive committee of the American Benefits Council, frequently represents employer interest to policymakers in Washington, D.C., and is a lead contributor on the ushealthnews.mercer.com blog. Thanks so much for joining me, Tracy. Thanks, Don, and thanks for the shout out for the blog. I am so looking forward to this conversation. Uh, you've got such an amazing background. You've been with Mercer 30 plus years, is that right? Yes, it is. So to, to start out, um, can you tell us a little bit about how you even landed at Mercer and in that role? What led you to this, uh, this career choice? Oh my gosh, it was so many years ago and um, was very young in my career, not quite just starting out, but you know, one of my first jobs. And um, I was moving to Washington to get married and I really just needed to find a job. And I had been working in benefits and so I interviewed with Mercer and I got hired by two guys that were really the first of our true healthcare consultants, you know, not not really people that kind of came up through group school in the insurance industry, which was pretty typical at that time. And so I really just learned the business from them. It's it's been it's been quite a uh, magic carpet ride actually. Tell us a little bit about what your role is today uh, at Mercer, and then also maybe then give us a preview of how it changed over the 30 years. I'm sure there's been been some career changes and transition within that 30 years at Mercer as well. But what, do you, what are you doing today? Yeah, so um, first and foremost, I work with clients. Um, you know, they are the lifeblood of our organization. And really the reason why I'm able to do the things that I do is because I have that perspective of employers, what they're dealing with, what their objectives are, what their challenges are, you know, what keeps them up at night, um, those types of things. And um, I just think it's so important, you know, for all of us to stay focused on, on that aspect of the business. Um, beyond that, um, you mentioned the blog. We started the blog about six years ago, really during the time when we were all in the throes of complying with the Affordable Care Act, um, also known as Obamacare. And so we've um, really grown that and, and that's been a lot of fun to be a part of. Um, our original team is still together, you know, these six years later. And it's just something that, that I'm super proud of. Um, we've got a, a, a really big distribution and, and um, we've had a lot of, of fun with it. And then, um, you know, the health policy role is one that I absolutely love, and I'm hoping that we're going to talk more about that. So I'll just kind of leave that um, there. And it's great to hear that, I mean, to have the original team still together working on that, that must be pretty neat because there's been quite a lot that's happened um, over that period of time. Um, you mentioned something, you know, 
very interesting and, and important, and I found the same thing in my career, is that when you can be close to clients and what is actually you know, happening with them and what keeps them up at night, it's, it's that much more important, and I'm sure really helps you and Mercer inform you know, different to takes on policy, as an example. What are, uh, and also, you've also got the, the survey, the Mercer survey, which I'd love, to, and you're the spokesperson for that as well, what I want to hear about. But from a challenge perspective, what are, what are top of mind challenges? What are keeping employers up at night as it relates to health care or health benefits? Yeah, you know, I'm glad you asked. In fact, we just fielded a really quick survey the week after the election, and um, we closed it about a week ago. We had just over 400 employers that participated in it, and we asked them, and granted, this is from a health policy perspective, but we asked them what their most important focus areas are in 2022, and Number one and two on the list are pretty consistently one and two on the list for the past couple of years, and they are monitoring and managing high-cost claimants, as well as focused action on managing specialty drug costs. And those kind of go hand in hand because a lot of time the high-cost claimants are using those high-cost specialty drugs. And, and like I said, that's been on the list for a while. But what is, is not surprising is what showed up as number three on the list. And those are um, very focused strategies to promote and provide access to behavioral health care services. And I think in particular during the pandemic, a very bright light has been shined on that need as many people find themselves in very different circumstances um, than they were prior to the pandemic hitting. Um, I know, you know, we've got data where we've seen um, a big demand for those services um, in terms of utilization, particularly of virtual behavioral health during the pandemic. Um, but we've seen a decline in cases identified, and that is also, you know, very concerning. So um, those, I would say, you know, if you wanted the list of the top three, those are definitely them. When you are engaging with clients and employers, when you think about those top three that you just mentioned, are you finding that uh, that there's some that are having better experience in addressing, you know, some or all three? Or are you finding, you know, no, the message is, hey, there's a lot of work to be done in these areas? So, you know, it's really interesting. Um, we sponsored a big conference, I think it's in its second year now, third year, called Health HLTH. And it's a lot of the high-tech startups, and we sponsor the um, employer track in that, and it's our second year to do it. And I got asked to host a panel discussion at the health conference, and it was on um, engagement. And um, I started off by saying, you know, did you think David Copperfield was going to be here, you know, to pull some magic um, for engagement? But, you know, really, we had these three clients and they they're all middle market. So these are not, you know, jumbo employers that have huge staffs to manage, you know, big programs. These are your typical middle market employer, a couple of thousand, maybe 5000 employees that, you know, just really are always working as hard as they can to engage their, their clients. And so they're in a little collaborative with us where they do have some, some special programs. They've got some, some um, dedicated advocacy um, vendor support and some point solutions. But 
The thing that I thought was so cool was they talked about moving 100 employees and another one, 200 employees from the high risk stratification into the low or moderate risk. Mm -hmm. That is the holy grail of engagement. Like that's the real deal. They helped people get healthier. And so to me, you know, that that's what it's all about. You know, yes, their costs came down or their costs moderated. And we all care about costs because we're all trying to manage that, you know, set pot of money that we have to provide as much and the best health care that we possibly can. But actually making people healthier, you know, that that is just that that's that's the holy grail right there. That's excellent. And I know this is a lot of what Mercer does in, in working with employers. Do you do you feel like uh, we're making progress and maybe is even the progress accelerating at all where employers are sharing or consulting firms like Mercer are really sharing these these uh, playbooks, if you will, to improve quality, to take people from high risk to low risk, like you just mentioned. Is that, how's that work going? Well, you know, John, don't you feel like we're all always experimenting with, you know, what's the next best thing going to be? And here, you know, we've all been trapped in our houses since March. And certainly, um, you know, I think it's probably safe to say that almost every, you know, household in America has been using the services of Amazon during the pandemic. And, you know, can you, do you remember the way you felt the first time that you ordered something from Amazon and they told you you could get it like that afternoon? And you were thinking, how, how did they do that? How in the world could they do that? And the thing that I think we have to think about in our roles is how do we start to deliver a healthcare experience that is of that same caliber. And I think that we are gonna continue to be challenged in that way in the next year, you know, two years, three years, five years, um, because people are expecting a more immediate um, result or a more immediate response or, you know, more immediate gratification, you know, fill in the blank. But, you know, we're in this time now where Everybody um, has a cell phone. You know, I pulled the the Pew Institute numbers a few weeks ago. 96% of Americans have a cell phone. And this was 2019 data, so this is even a year old. And like something like 85% have a smartphone. So, you know, the the door has been opened for us to deliver healthcare in a really different way. And so I think we're all going to continue to experiment to try to, to navigate our way through that and to, to really provide that caliber of an experience. I know at Blue Shield, you know, we talk quite a bit about high tech, enabling high touch. And, you know, our, our whole mission as a company, or our North Star is really to deliver healthcare that's worthy of our family and friends and sustainably affordable. And to me, that's always been such a powerful statement because if you can actually provide health care that is truly worthy of what your family and your friends deserve to get then you can see the gaps that we still have but that there's opportunities to close them and you talk about an amazon amazon you know is known for customer obsession and when you think about what we talk a lot about in healthcare industry lingo is the whole triple aim of you know focusing on cost quality and experience 
are you seeing trends now accelerating at all to actually move the needle to us to get there? Or do you, you know, with the new technologies coming and all that, or do you still feel like we still really have a ways to go to figure that out? So, you know, I thought that the um, most recent RAND um, report was really intriguing as it relates to quality and the, the potential um, impact of quality data. And um, as you're probably aware, you know, we recently got the final transparency regulations for group health plans. And we, Mercer, did um, file a comment letter when those regs were out for comment. They, they went out for comment actually almost a year ago. And one of the points that we made, and, and I'm gonna, this is verbatim what we said, that we felt like it is irresponsible to provide transparency data and not have quality information to go along with it. And, um, and I know that other groups share that, um, that passion for the combination of those two things and, and the sentiment. Um, and so, you know, we're doing a lot right now to try to figure out how to crack the nut on that. You know, we've been spending a lot of time looking at various quality tools and developing some models and, you know, I, I, I think that, you know, we all have some work to do, but I do feel like that is um, clearly something that we are focused on and that we think is, is going to be super important. You know, we introduced these consumer directed health plans so many years ago, and they were kind of based on the premise that that people should be able to, um, you know, shop, I'm using air quotes, shop for healthcare and you know it's kind of hard to shop for something if you don't know what the prices are and so you know finally it looks like you know we might be making a step a really good step forward um to achieve that you mentioned the hlth conference to the health conference and i remember i i don't know if that if it's three years running i went to the first one and I, I thought it was really um, valuable and interesting because there's a lot of uh, startups and also a lot of uh, companies that are entering the space to really help employers. Were there any other takeaways that you're either seeing from that type of uh, conference or some of the survey work that Mercer's doing outside of the top three that you mentioned that you're really looking forward to? One I'll give you just as an example to get your opinion on is what do you think about, it's been around for some time, but these high performance networks and sometimes called narrow networks, is that something that employers are looking at? And you mentioned the quality piece, that is part of this as well, but what, what else are we seeing out there? And is even that something getting traction of interest? So I think, um, you know, in the, the more jumbo market, we're seeing um, movement in direct contracting, which is a, you know, version of that. Um, and certainly there are some, some good examples of employers that are, that are making that work for them. Um, you know, historically with the narrow networks, especially in the early years, the, the beef was that, you know, you were giving up a lot of, of provider network and maybe the savings didn't really feel like it justified, you know, telling people, okay, you can only go to these providers. I think that, you know, we're gaining some ground on that. Um, certainly there are some, some great examples of ACOs that are, that are working very well. And, and I am aware of um, employers that are, um, you know, uh, uh, giving their employees an incentive to use those providers and sharing in that savings with them. And so, so yes, I think that that strategy is one that will 
actually benefit from the quality data, from being able to pair up the quality data with you know the the narrow network, so that you can help people understand what you know how much more they benefit from that. Um, but in terms of you know new strategies or strategies that are still evolving that that um, are both strategic and have health policy implications. I've been really focused on um, telemedicine and what I call virtual care. And so, you know, prior to the pandemic, um, use of telemedicine was really, you know, low single digit percentage of employees using telemedicine. And then all of a sudden, you know, we get hit with this pandemic and First and foremost, that became an awesome tool for us to all use just to triage for potential coronavirus cases. And so it was a super safe way for people to be able to consult with someone to figure out what to do next. And so that really opened the door, or in some cases, the floodgates, um, for a lot of people to use telemedicine. And then, you know, the federal government allowed a relaxation so that um, providers that maybe weren't set up um, to be telemedicine providers to, to be able to do that without going into a lot of detail. And um, so we then had you know, some of us or, you know, all of America able to have a telemedicine visit with their own physician, whether it was by telephone or um, through some type of, you know, video call. And the providers um, through this relaxation were allowed to bill the full price of their office visit. Um, and um, I guess it's no surprise that on average, those cost a little bit more than the traditional telemedicine visit. And so we're kind of at a point in time where we need to reconcile that. And I firmly believe that, and I, and I kind of refer to those as virtual visits because we all sort of have a, def, a, a pure definition of telemedicine as more of the standalone programs. Um, I think virtual visits are super important and I think that they have a lot of potential, but we've got to right size the service with what the reimbursement is for them. And you know, I know that that work is going on, and I think typically what happens is that, you know, Medicare and the AMA will work through that, and we'll probably end up with some new codes and some new guidelines, and, you know, it just takes a while for that to work through the process. Um, but in the meantime, you know, we're where we are right now, and um, so I'm, I'm very optimistic, but also a little anxious about how that is all going to work through, mostly because of the, the cost associated with it, which in the grand scheme of things is probably pretty small, but nonetheless, a higher price point. We've definitely seen the increase in telemedicine, virtual care, for sure. Uh, it, it definitely opened up that door in a big way and got people familiar with it that wouldn't have used it uh, in the past. So I do believe that it's here to stay. And it's just a matter of, uh, like you talked about, uh, how, how do we kind of reimburse for that going forward? What's that look like across the country? We wrote a white paper about it, um, about um, telemedicine and how it's evolved through the pandemic. Um, we co-authored it with um, the American Benefits Council and Catalyst for Payment Reform. And I know you had Suzanne on a prior podcast. Um, and we did make some recommendations for policymakers around that. Again, you know, the importance of the employer voice being heard by lawmakers. Um, you know, we do 
covers the lion's share of healthcare for over half of the American people. So it's, you know, it's important that, that they hear that perspective. I agree. That perspective is important. And that's a good kind of segue into the fact that you do represent employer interest to policymakers in Washington, D.C. And so whether it's telemedicine or other things, what are, what are those policies that come top of mind for you that you are currently advocating for? As I mentioned, telemedicine is one. Um, another one that we've been working on for a while that, that won't surprise you are the, um, the issue around surprise medical bills. And specifically, um, surprise medical bills are the balanced bill that um, a plan member would receive either for emergency room care, which, you know, in that situation, the network is really not material because it's an emergency, or when you think that you've gone in network for everything and it turns out, you know, your anesthesiologist is out of network and you're getting balance billed for that. And um, this has really gotten a lot of attention um, through the through the popular press, really, and it got the attention of Congress mm -hmm. and they, um, they want to do something. I mean, Congress um, would like to help bring down healthcare costs and they were concerned about surprise medical bills. And we um, have a difference of opinion um, across stakeholders for how that should get re resolved. And so from an employer perspective, we are advocating for um, full reimbursement to be whatever the median market price is for the service so that um, the balance bill would not exceed that, that median market price. The provider community would like for there to be arbitration. And, um, and from the employer perspective, and I'll just say from the plan member perspective, you know, arbitration takes time. It's expensive. While you're waiting to get that worked out, you have this bill hanging over your head that impacts your credit rating. It's stressful. You know, there's a lot of negative things associated from a plan member perspective with arbitration. And so that is something that we've been talking to members of Congress and their staff about. I will say that, you know, the provider lobby is very strong and very well funded. And um, I cannot tell you how many times I've gone in with you know, the American Benefits Council to talk to staff and they're like, please send other employers to talk to us. There are doctors up here, you know, every day of the week and, and you know, their groups that they're affiliated with. So please, you know, bring bring more people up here you know you really need to have the the, the message heard so you know that's part of, of my interest in talking to you is just to really highlight the importance of the employer voice being heard in Washington that ties into I did have a chance to listen to some of these you hosted a couple of uh, post-election webinars back in November with some of your colleagues that you, you'd mentioned uh, before. And, you know, through that, you shared insights on the recent elections, potential impacts to health policy, employer strategies to focus on during the transition period, and also developments, you know, that related to COVID-19. So based on that and kind of what you're currently seeing now, what should employers be doing uh, more of or continuing to focus on as it relates to policy? Uh, you know, you, you just mentioned just now that um, it'd be good to see more employers involved. What, what would be your message for the employers in terms of how they can get involved and what they should be focusing on? Yeah, there are 
um, different ways to do it. There are several employer advocacy groups. Um, as you mentioned, I'm on the board of the American Benefits Council, so I'm partial to them. But um, there are several in Washington, and there are groups like um, the Business Group on Health that does um, have an advocacy part to it. Um, SHRM is a powerful um, advocate for employee benefits. Uh, we work very closely with the U.S. Chamber of Commerce. They have um, someone that focuses on specifically on health policy and another person on retirement plan policy. So, you know, there's there's a number of organizations. And so I would say, please just support one of them, you know, and support the work that they do. Maybe look at various ones to be sure that they're aligned with what your thinking is. Um, and um, so that's one way. Another way is, you know, through your support, you could, you know, offer to come and do Hill visits, um, you know, because of the pandemic, we're actually doing them virtually. So it does sort of open the door for more people to be involved. Um, I know that some companies do have their own government affairs people, they have their own lobbyists. And so, you know, I don't know if, if um, health care and health policy is on their agenda, but, you know, that's something that you can check into. I know several of the clients that I work with do have lobbyists that that um, address health health policy issues. So, you know, there's a variety of things to do. Um, you know, back when we were trying to repeal the Cadillac tax, which yeah, we did, um, we had um, clients sign letters to members of Congress, and that was hugely effective um, in getting the Cadillac tax repealed. It took us like five years to do it, but, you know, we finally, the stars finally were aligned for that to happen. So, um, you know, there's a number of ways, and I just would encourage people to, to explore that. And there's lots of great resources out there, you know, so the webinars that you do, the blogs that you write, the, the resources I know that I've seen that Mercer's provided, including the, the surveys that come out are just really uh, helpful to let folks know where employers stand and, and things that they could be focusing on. Uh, I did want to touch on mental behavioral health because you did say, you know, that falls within the top three. And that was something even pre-COVID that employers I was hearing quite a bit from uh, that was important and seemed to be growing in need. And uh, what what do you think, either from a policy perspective or from just what needs to be done there to better facilitate quality, mental behavioral health. What what do you think are the things that employers should be focused on? So I think it's a couple of things. I think I would just start with um, taking a look at your current wellness or well-being program and making sure that it truly is holistic. Uh, because I feel like behavioral health, you know, fits in there. And so you know, we're talking about like physical health, emotional health, financial health, um, social and environmental, which certainly is is really big right now. And then, you know, also um, purpose, um, because I think all of those have a mental health aspect to it. I feel like we've come a long way from the days where we talked about the stigma of mental health. So, you know, that that's a, that's a good you know milestone for us to pass and now it's really about access and you know we have a real shortage of mental health providers um i think that the the um, um telemedicine um programs specifically for mental health have been, have become very effective i think more and more employers are taking advantage of those and so i do see that as as a path forward 
Um, I also think that some of the work that's being done just on the pure telemedicine side to allow um, providers to cross state lines and things like that will will have a um, impact on access to behavioral health services. So I think all of those things are really important. Um, and then I think the last thing is is just for um, businesses, for managers, for leaders to be a lot more sensitive and aware of what people are going through. I think that we have seen that. I think we've seen a lot of empathy and compassion during the pandemic. It's, I, I don't know, it's one of the things that I find really um, heartwarming to see. And I, I think that, that that's had a, had a positive impact as well. And I do think that that kind of leadership from the top and the support um, for employees is, is just super important. It just out of curiosity, are all employers pretty much in the same boat, do you think, because of where behavioral mental health exists right now? Or are you seeing any that are um, kind of ahead of the curve with how they're providing that support? You know, I don't know what why this is, and maybe it's just because some of these resources are in California, but I feel like there's a lot of good stuff coming out of California to help employers with um, behavioral health. There's, you know, some interesting new point solutions. I think that there's um, some of the, the um, high time high-tech companies there in Silicon Valley that are driving um, the the um, the need and you know they're they're, they're really you know um, uh, part of the demand for this and I think that um, the market has responded to that demand there's definitely you know from my perspective there's a huge need there's a lot of work to be done I think that provider shortage is something important and also just uh, equity and you know language and those things that are important to provide, you know, really solid uh, mental behavioral health. So um, that's really helpful. On the business side, we talked a little bit about technology and some of these point solutions that you just mentioned, but uh, from a, just a point solution technology standpoint, there's a lot going on out there. In fact, uh, I think it's probably overwhelming to some employers or even some of the consultants, I would think, that, that are evaluating all of these. How do you view that picture of all these healthcare-focused point solutions? And uh, you know, is there anything standing out in particular for you that, that's really interesting? I think because I've been spending so much time on telemedicine and virtual care, um, I've been thinking a lot about what are the access points? You know, what are those front doors to healthcare, and how many front doors you know does somebody have access to? And is that is that necessarily a good thing? You know, is are more front doors better or? Would we be better off if you started in some type of triage point? And maybe that triage point is driven by artificial intelligence. I mean, you could think that you're texting with a person, but it might be a bot, you know? Um, and, and could that help people navigate more quickly to, you know, the best place for the best care at the right time, at the right price, you know? Um, and so I feel like, that is kind of a good place to start in terms of how do you want to help people access care? Um, you know, I think having a primary care physician is super important, and it's been really interesting to watch the evolution of how 
primary care gets provided. And we've had some, some really interesting experiences with the direct primary care model or the advanced primary care model. And you know now all of the telemedicine vendors have their own virtual primary care model. And so I just, I think that front door, that access point is, is gonna be really key to how we think about the design of our programs going forward. I love the idea of making sure that front door connects to primary care. And to your point, you know, we're seeing these trends with virtual uh, telemedicine really help bolster that. So thank you for sharing that. And on the, you know, on the personal side, has there been a silver lining for you with everything that's gone on with the COVID-19 pandemic? What's been that the personal impact for you? Well, um, two things, uh, I guess, first of all, um, you know, having been a, a um, consultant that spent most of my time on the road, it took like two months, but I finally figured out that I no longer needed to be ready to pack and leave the house in 10 minutes. And so I actually have, you know, I don't have my makeup in my little travel bag anymore. I actually have, you know, drawers with organizers like normal people do. So that was sort of the first thing to live like a normal person. But I would say, you know, the benefit of being home is, um, you know, we, our diet is better. I exercise more. Like I actually feel better from, you know, being home for all of these months now. We, you know, at the Watts house, we have um, developed some healthier habits and I would say it's paid off. And so, you know, that's been the silver lining for us for sure. I know it's been for me as well. I think it's the first time in my career that, and I've mentioned this in, in other podcasts where I've been to, to dinner, you know, pretty much every night of the week by, you know, 5.30 PM or something like that. And that has never happened in my 25 years in, in this industry. And uh, it's been nice, uh, a really nice thing to spend time with family. And uh, is there, you know, I guess the, the final question would be, is there, one thought or ask that you would have for anyone listening to this podcast, uh, you know, what would you leave us with? Um, I think that it would be to look at the things that you're currently involved in to determine if you have a voice that's being heard as it relates to health policy. And if you don't you know what might you do um, to have that voice heard. You know, the most important thing that we're working on right now, of course, are the COVID relief packages. And there have been some benefits issues that have kind of come in and out of those. Um, I'm not really sure what we're going to see, but, um, you know, I, I think that's the first thing that's going to happen. Certainly, surprise medical bills is still on the agenda. It's got a lot of bipartisan support. And so, you know, I think if, if we want the outcome to be one that doesn't drive costs up, we need to be sure that the, um, the employer voice is heard there. And there certainly will be other things that will follow. Um, you know, I don't think that the healthcare agenda um, in this coming year will be quite what um, President-elect Biden had in mind, just because the numbers, you know, didn't play out in the House and the Senate. But I do think that healthcare is still um, an agenda item, and um, having the employer voice heard is super important. You know, we'll continue to share Mercer data on the Hill and um, and share the employer perspective, and it's it's something that you know not only do we enjoy doing, but we feel you know it, it, it's our responsibility to do that. But if we could have some more voices behind us, that would be really great too. 
I want to say thank you for taking the time to listen. We covered a lot of ground today, and I hope you took away that employers are really focused on, you know, managing high cost claims. They're focused on high cost specialty, access to behavioral and mental health, um, and telemedicine and virtual care. All these are important to employers. And finally, as, as you know, Tracy said here, make sure you know if you're an employer out there listening that your your voice is heard. Uh, make sure that employer voice is heard. There's lots of resources. Mercer's a great one to make sure that you're up to speed and advocating for what makes sense uh, for you for healthcare. For more about Mercer, check out their website at www.mercer.com and stay up to date on the latest healthcare news from Mercer's blog. Join us next time as we continue to bring you a healthy dose of insights and perspectives based on conversations with leaders who are transforming healthcare. You can subscribe to the podcast on Apple iTunes or Spotify, or follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter at Dose of Dialogue.